The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So my hope in doing that, my hope in suggesting that you choose someone who, whom it's really easy to have these attitudes towards, and it's you're, and and uh, <laughs> was that um, by going through them, each one, and coming to equanimity, and then doing having seeing if you can have some basic warmth, goodwill, for someone, and equanimity, and a balance of mind, not caught by the mind, wisdom. Let this person, leave this person alone to make their own choices, not take responsibility. That you might be able to get a sense of how equanimity could be there together with goodwill, with warmth. It could be a form of love, even. And I was wondering if that way of coming at it was meaningful for any of you, whether it showed you something. And what did it show you? What, what happened? It would be nice to hear a little bit. Some of you nodded your heads. Or something else about doing it this way with people for whom it's easy to do with. How did that maybe give you better access or less access to this thing of was wonderful, I thought, um, as a way to, to approach equanimity because um, I had m- more of a sense of the warmth going with the um, kind of letting go of my ideas about what would help this person and uh, just, just letting myself relax into um, knowing that the choices were his and um, and having that combined with it just a real warmth of heart um, is very very nice great yeah. great okay thank you yes. um, I think for me um, I've noticed over the last couple of months a flowering inside. I wasn't quite sure. It's a sense of joy and and, um, kind of well-being. And going through the meditation, the guided meditation, um, put me more in contact with that. And maybe it's it's a sense of equanimity, but I think as you're saying, it's really a love, an outflowing of of a a non-categorized love. And and without strings, it's just true and outflowing of it. Um, I'm kind of going through some personal stuff with uh, um, um, a marriage is coming to an end, and yet I'm finding I have a sense of joy about my soon-to-be ex-wife, and I notice she's going through some difficult times, and she needs to find aspects of herself. We just had a conversation this morning. But I was able to... In a sense, make suggestions, and I, it's kind of amazing how much I could not be into that and not have an invested interest in what she, direction she was going. And what put me in contact with the meditation was that's kind of position I was taking. It was like a reinforcement. It was like 
um, uh, coming more in contact with that feeling inside myself, a location, uh, the, the point of view, um, the feeling of energy, the feeling of, of not extending my, my, me and mine out there and treating in that way. And actually treating as another human being is having a difficult time. And I was able to, or at least I thought I was able to kind of extend love and understanding for what she's going through. Beautiful. Thank you. So I'm here with you to your... Great, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, about the use of the word enemy. Um, Occasionally that comes up in a teaching, and today when it came up, it just activated so much in me in a completely different direction. And it felt like a label that is unchangeable, and then it was just something that activated a, a fear and aversion. Um, either for me to be considering somebody an, an enemy or, or to be considered an, an enemy. And I just kept getting kind of hung up on that. Uh-huh. Great. I'm glad you're hung up about it because, I mean, it, we, we don't want, I don't think we, it's not healthy to kind of put people in fixed categories and leave them there. And, and especially something like as an enemy, but to be open to that, your view and your relationship changing, I think is a healthy thing. And to be wise and cautious as well sometimes. Uh, in those relationships, um, the um, I'm not sure what the Pali word is, but everyone, every translator I know, translates this word as enemy. And but here in the West, some teachers reinterpret it as the difficult person, and that's a little more open. And a lot of people in the West, as you're not uncommon, a lot of people in the West have trouble with the, using the word enemy. It's like not, not not something in their active vocabulary. They don't think of themselves as having enemies, and and uh, when they hear Politicians talk about other countries as being enemies. It just makes them feel uncomfortable with the whole whole approach. So, so you're welcome to change the language. But there are people who have tremendous animosity towards each other, or, or in one direction, and not only animosity, but they actually want to cause harm to each other. And so, you know that that exists. So how do you include that? And, and I, th- I think that the whole approach of the Brahma Viharas to include the so-called enemy is to break down the hard fixed barriers between people. So who's, yes. Someone close to me has recently become very active in AA 
And um, if there was ever a time that I uh, looked at this person and wished him well but did not feel responsible for his actions, it's now. And um, so this was a good reflection for me. Because the person's going in the right direction, and so... Yes. And so... Yes, but, but I don't know what will happen tomorrow. Uh-huh. Great. I thought it was um, a, a good exercise, and I especially like sort of doing all the Brahma Viharas together. And then your comment, let them stand aside. So you've already given love and openness to those people that are standing aside. So I have the feeling that that's a help then. You could keep going to more and more difficult situations because you're getting more and more support oh, beautiful. as you yeah. go along. Nice, very nice. Linda, could you take this, pass it to Greg? Yes. <coughs> I really appreciate that last um, contribution, Marilyn. Um, one of the things that I noticed <coughs> this morning in the way that you led us in the first guided meditation and then followed up here is the um, open-heartedness that you're promoting or trying to help us bring forth. Um, The more that develops within me, the easier it is for the enemies or difficult people because if I just try to go to the difficult person without that vastness, it's like pretty hard, you know, to do that. But in the context, it feels like there's room for them in the vastness of the open heart. So we're contracted and afraid. It's hard to have to include the difficult people. But if we're centered and safe, and it's much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Greg? Um... Uh, where I get hung up on metta sometimes, with especially with people who I'm close to, um, is that I almost uh, there's a quality of taking their decisions personally, and not necessarily like taking them as in I'm offended that they do the things that they do, um, but I almost feel like it's me do, doing those things. And to uh, combine metta with equanimity today, I thought was really beautiful because. Mm-hmm. I felt like backing off a little bit actually allowed me to open up more to them and see them clearly as a separate entity into themselves. You don't identify so strongly with those people and who they are doesn't necessarily have to reflect on you. And so you don't have to be so entangled with them. Great. It's great, wise. Okay, so one more here. I think it's easier for me um, with friends or adults to... um, step back and have compassion and let them make their own decisions. I think where I really struggle is with kids, particularly I have an adolescent boy and his decisions. Um, he has a chronic illness and he chooses not to take care of it. And it's, it's hard to express compassion, let him make his decisions, knowing there are big consequences for right. those decisions. And at the same time, I'm the parent and what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And I really feel like I get stuck in get clamped down in fear and yes I know this one I, I'm, I'm a parent of two kids and uh, and I've considered this a lot you know explored this a lot for myself is um, you know what's my responsibility and uh, you know I, you know it's one thing for the neighbor to go do something who I hardly know 
and you know, you're making your own choices. But, um, you know, your kid, you're supposed to guide and support and protect. And so what's your role doing that? And what's your role of stepping back and letting them make their own choices, even if they're choices that you don't like? And uh, I think probably every parent has to negotiate that one. And, and the different ages of the kids, different answers are there. I mean, the story I've told when my, my son was, I think he was about five or six, um, he came out of the bathroom dressed and slicked up like a 1970s disco king. <laughs> his hair was slicked straight back. And he, somehow he found a gold necklace. We don't have any jewelry at home. But it was probably, probably a plastic gold necklace. And he had these clothes on that, you know, I, I didn't even know we had these kind of clothes for kids. He says, it was remarkable, you know. And this was not the world that I approve of. <laughs> but but I, I looked at that and said, you know, this is not what I want. But, you know, he's making his choice. Not my, it's not my place to say, don't do that. I, I, I just backed off and said, okay, let this be. Luckily, it was only a few hours trend. <laughs> but then, there's, you know, that's a silly little thing, but then there's bigger things, right? Like huge things that have consequential consequences down there. And so um, uh, I don't have any answers except that uh, I think it's really... I found myself, uh, it felt really appropriate to stretch myself to give more independence, more freedom for my kid to make his own choices, but to have the wisdom, hopefully, to know when when to not let him have his choices. Because he's capable of making choices where the results are that he gets sick. Like if he stays up, to, he's, this kid needs a lot of sleep, so if he, but he wants to stay up late. <laughs> so, you know, oh, you make your own choices. And then I can't tell you how many times we've had to clean up barf from the car because he gets sick from, if he doesn't sleep enough. Every, I don't know, I shouldn't go into details, I guess, but... <laughs> Almost every overnight field trip, you know, with the class up in the Sierras or wherever they go, you know, some parent is cleaning up him. <laughs> if he doesn't get, because he doesn't get enough sleep when they go camping or whatever they're doing, then he just doesn't do well. So, you know, so how do we negotiate this? How do we make these choices? When do we get out of the way and let him just get sick and throw up? Uh, you know, you're making your choice. You've got to have to learn on your own. So it's not easy. But it's, good. it's a good, really good exploration. It's really good to stretch and try to find that place. Okay. Um, what I'd like to do, I'd like to switch gears now. And um, so the practice of equanimity as a Brahma-vihara is a little bit more of a wisdom practice than the other Brahma-viharas. The wisdom practice means that it comes along with an understanding that um, some kind of wise understanding. Uh, the word upekka, is, um, which is the Pali word for equanimity here, uh, means something like to, um, the, uh, to, to have an overview of the situation and you know, have a broad view. And that overview um, gives you some kind of balance. Or, um, and the overview is often one of wisdom, of understanding. And um, so... Um, so what is the wisdom, what's the understanding that supports equanimity, that supports having a warm-hearted feeling for someone, but not getting caught and entangled, um, um, keeping the mind at ease, uh, balanced with the person at the same time? 
And so what is the wisdom? And what is the... Um, and then those, this kind of wisdom sometimes is then encapsulated in short phrases. And some people, when they do the, loving, do the equanimity practice, will repeat these phrases to themselves in a periodic way as a way of, of, um, of um, um, just reminding themselves that, of that wisdom or kind of bringing that at it, bring that, helping bring that equanimity towards the situation. So I have typed out here um, different uh, versions or different phrases that people have used here in the West for equanimity. There are seven of them. And um, uh, what I thought might be nice is for you to uh, break up into groups of four and to take these sheets of paper and, um, and uh, read them, read these phrases, and then have a discussion about the wisdom of them. And I think it's maybe more interesting to discuss the wisdom of them than discuss, to discuss the foolishness of them. I'm sure you can find ways in which, like, this can't be true, or this, you know, you know in this situation, this, is, you know, this can't be so, and all the exceptions. And it might be useful at some point to look at the exceptions and when these don't apply. But I think it, for the purposes of kind of exploring this today, I think it's more interesting for you to look at the when, 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 what circumstances are these statements wise statements and useful and helpful statements? So look at it from that point of view rather than, oh no, I can't believe it. Let me tell you. Does that make sense? So I made 50. I think there's a little bit more than 50 people here. So I think it's probably okay for you guys to share a little bit. And um, so groups of four, and it might be nice to spread out. There's chairs in the cabinet out there. Some of you want to go at the outer hall and have your little groups of four out there. Please do. Um, or in the conference room or the library. It's, um, but you form little clusters of four, and then uh, we'll pass these out. So if you could... something new in that discussion or any of you surprised by anything that was came up in the discussion how did it go the discussion anybody want to share a little bit I was surprised I was surprised um, uh, when we looked up uh, actually when Cheryl looked up all the different meanings for accept <laughs> and how positive they were how approving they were versus the way I was reading so you, that, were, you were reading, reading it as what? Um, I, I was reading it as more acknowledge and just be open to. And some of the meanings, dictionary meanings, were much more approving, much more positive. Okay, good. It's interesting. I was surprised that a lot of these dealt with um, our need to take care of ourselves and uh, not project our uh, distress or 
hopes or fears on, on situations. Great, that's beautiful. Thank you. You know, sometimes I think the, that was nice what you said, because sometimes the, the focus on something like equanimity or letting go or being peaceful can be how you might benefit from it. But another way of looking at it is uh, you become a much be- safer person for the world. <laughs> I really appreciated our discussion in many ways, and I think the one thing I want to remember here was uh, in the phrase, may I be undisturbed by the comings and goings of events, the idea of events being not just external things that happen to interrupt our plan or our day, but um, thoughts and ideas that come up. And um, the idea that maybe we don't need to give them so much power to um, distract us from our intentions. Uh and that this could be a kind of calming antidote to, to worries and obsessions that nice. arise internally. Nice, nice. Very nice. Yeah. Greg, can you hear Where's the other mic? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Richard shared something uh, I hadn't heard before. We were talking about the, um, the worldly winds and he shared Ajahn Chah's teaching about them, which is equal value. And uh, I guess I just wanted to pass that along. And what what does equal value mean? um, That the sort of forces that run through life that we don't have any control over, pleasure, pain, gain, loss, uh, fame, disrepute. uh, I always forget one. Success, failure, yeah. Praise and blame. Um, I guess Ajahn Chah teaches that they will always balance out. On Equal value. Uh-huh. On one side or Great. the other. Great, thank you. So we started with, um, may I accept things as they are? And I have such a hard time with accept because I, I think it means like how they are. <laughs> and... I'm not going to lie, I don't like how they are. Um, So two things helped. May I accept? It's like asking for the willingness. Not that I'm going to magically pretend that, okay, I accept everything. Um, But may I have the willingness to accept? And then the last one, things as they are, that's like, yeah, okay, that I can do. (laughs) I don't have to like it. It doesn't matter if I like it or dislike it. But that is how they are. So those, those two are wonderful together. Ah. So what, what, if instead of the word accept, it had said allow, what would that have done for you? May I, may I allow things to be as they are? Um, for me personally, It kind of feels the same. Like, allow, same. accept, I have to like it, I have to okay. like, be happy so, about yeah, it. I, I appreciate this. Sometimes <laughs> I find it uh, better in my mind to uh, state it in the negative. May I not contract around how things are. 
may I not resist how things are? Or may I not be in conflict with how things are? Any other thoughts about this, this, this uh, exploration? These are like really significant, profound wisdom teachings. They're not, you know, so there's lots of to be. Well, when you ask, uh, did you learn something new? Um, something that I think, certainly from my experience, sort of with the addiction world or dependence and codependence and this sort of thing, I, this has just been so profound to me, the idea that caring for yourself means not being, quote, responsible for somebody else's happiness or your perception of their happiness and that just the way it is that actions and intentions affect whether you're happy or whether somebody is happy or not. Um, So it's profound, you know, talking about self-love and actually loving others and and just as you were saying, No one likes to be told what to do anyway. So all this energy of like trying to manipulate your own mind. But what I learned new was from our group was, you know, not everybody's mind is in codependence mode. (laughs) There are actually some people whose minds don't operate this way. And this is really profound universally. Um, And wait a minute, you know, my mind is not the way the whole world works. (laughs) There might be other options. <laughs> right. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, it was nice. Great. Thank you, John. Oh, I had trouble with number three. I will care for you but cannot keep you from suffering because I think that goes against the bodhisattva way of I would like to help you um, alleviate your suffering. What I can do by listening to you, by accepting you by giving you unconditional love that will help you with your suffering and so I don't want to go through life saying sorry not my problem ah, but are there circumstances where the person is not going to listen to you not of course there's, there's balance sometimes you can help suffering and sometimes so you can't so the question is so, so I think that this uh, you know I, I care for you but how does it go I care for you but yeah, so suffering is not meant to be a universal statement to walk around life that way like you know <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be applied in the particular situations where that's relevant. In particular situations where we can't make a difference. The person's making choices and they're doing things and we've knocked on their head and we've done everything we can. We've listened to them, we've been compassionate to them, we've paid them, <laughs> whatever, whatever we could. But they just go, go ahead and, and so you realize, you know, you have to make, you're making your choices and you're, gonna have, you're making your own bed in a sense. Is that helpful or here in the front? Yeah, I think one of the things for me that was new was thinking about each of these as for particular situations and what kind of feeling they might evoke. So like the first one may accept things as they are. The feeling that was evoked was, was more just a relaxation of resting in situation and the second one may be undisturbed by the comings and goings of events is more uh, evoking a stillness or a groundedness and so a situation that might call for that or that I want to feel that 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 um, phrase and then I will care for you but cannot keep you from suffering is more about can I stay connected in a situation where I really can't 
do anything about the suffering and so on. Very nice. Thank you. One, one more. Yes, Gail. Um, I, I realized when I looked at the uh, second to the last one, especially the phrase, whose if not theirs is the choice by which they become happy, um, I, I just flashed on a recent experience of my own, and I'm, what I'm realizing is if I can really realize this in my own life, it's then going to be a lot easier for me to have equanimity for others. And the incident was one in which I really, in retrospect, not at the time, but in retrospect, I really saw how I was creating my own huff. I, I, I got myself into a huff. And, and I, could, I could see how I didn't have to do that, how I just kind of manufactured it, and it did involve some blame then of, <laughs> of my husband. And, and uh, uh, when, I, when I saw it, I just, um, uh, it just made me feel very, very much more peaceful inside and more, in a way, more, um, well, I was almost going to say in control, but that doesn't make sense, but more um, peaceful, I think, about uh, uh, how that goes on in other people too and, uh, and, and it's hard to recognize sometimes but we can just encourage the, the process great, thank you okay is that enough for the morning? No, or do we have la- la- last, last words? anybody who needs us to make them happy? before you can go to lunch (laughs) yeah you (laughs) let's all work on her (laughs) I think it's helpful if um, we can take the word accept to mean um, I think allow is also good but it does not mean condone right and that's a biggie because acceptance to a lot of people means I condone what's going on I may very well accept it. In fact, when I think you said recently, accept it in your awareness. And that I can live with, but accepting it as being okay, I may not be able yeah. to do. Yeah. So, so that's a very important distinction for me, is the idea that there's um, the awareness, the mind, the heart never contracts. Just, there's space for everything. So you accept it, we allow for it, we open to it, whatever the language you like. But what you do with your awareness, it might be very different than what you do with your action. So your awareness stays open and receptive and uncontracted, unresistant, and you just take in the whole thing. But your words say, stop. <laughs> no. Okay. So uh, let's take uh, an hour for lunch. So those of you who are here new for the first time, what happens is that people who know how to do it will set up tables and chairs in the outer hall and um, you can sit around with people and lunch is a time to...